Thank you for joining us on the Underdog Podcast, the place where we believe everyone is an underdog. And for that reason, we want to hear your story. We are your host, Kyle Decker. And I am your boy, Calvin Blackman. This episode is powered by the Job Center Staffing. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is the podcast we've all been waiting for. Coming into the underdog ring and sitting to my left, he's originally out of Loveland, Ohio, and now a nationally renowned fighter. This man is measuring 5 feet, 11 inches, and 175 pounds, fighting for limitless Brazilian jiu-jitsu in the Jimmy Owens in Cincinnati, Ohio. Please welcome Robbie, the Hebrew heartthrob, Mela. Very good. That was good, man. Good yeah, job. I, no idea I had no idea. Yeah, that, you was know, I, that, was, that was good. That was good. Uh, did, you weren't expecting that either? I wasn't expecting that. I've always wanted to be Bruce Buffer or whatever his have name is. Have your moment. Yeah, Michael and, or Bruce. Or Michael or Bruce or whoever. And I was like, hey, this is my chance. I have a nationally renowned fighter right here in a beautiful gym. And I said, I'm just going to give him the intro he deserves. So well done. Welcome wow. to the show, Robbie. Yeah. How are you guys doing? Good, 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 good. Now we got to live up to him. So we'll you, you guys are going to, you guys are living <laughs> up to it so far. It's been a fun, fun day so far. So the Hebrew heartthrob. That's right. You are a, uh, you're a local legend, man. I don't and, know about a local legend, but uh, we'll see. Trying, trying to become something special. We'll see. And you just had a fight this past weekend. Is that correct? Yeah. I had a professional grappling match. Um, it was in Cleveland. It was called Fight to Win. It's a pretty big um, jujitsu organization that's kind of came out uh, about two years ago. And they're kind of making the center stage for professional grappling now. They kind of took the good from uh, professional like fighting with like the staging and the lights and all that kind of good stuff. And they add in pay now. They're paying guys to do these like one-off, you know, they call them super fights or single matches. Um, and yeah, I, I got to do my first event. It was really cool. And I hope to do a lot actually this so, year. So I got a more important question about fashion. What's up with the salmon? Oh yeah. The salmon, we call it suit, a jersey or what, what do you yeah, call yeah, it? Yeah. Your, so so it's called a gi or a kimono. Okay. And uh, jujitsu, just a quick, you know, kind of uh, understanding. We compete in the gi, which is like the traditional uniform. And then we compete in no gi, which is like t-shirt shorts, looks more like wrestling minus the singlet. Um, and yeah, I've always worn like really outspoken, like clothes and colors. And I always like to, I just like to be noticed just to be different, you know, get, get more eyes on you. So my sponsor had a salmon gi and I was like, I'm going to rock that. Love it. I thought it was great. I was watching this weekend. I love the highlights. First of all, congratulations on, on a great match up North. And, um, have you seen the salmon? You got to check this out, man. This thing, whoever doesn't go follow Robbie, the heartthrob Mayloff on Facebook, Right. Yep. That's, Instagram. Instagram. All that, huh? all that, and see this salmon outfit. I'm telling you, I was I was impressed when I was looking at it. I was like, that's different. I like it. He's got a little swag. What do they say? Look good, play good. Right. That's right. Look good, Look good feel good, good. Yeah. play good. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Now, did you um, you said that they they've started to do things a little bit differently as as opposed to the promotion and the, the big lights. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what was it like before? I guess what is your what have your matches kind of consisted of before kind of walking into this new avenue? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, we're kind of looking at two different things. It's a good time to kind of break it off. So I've competed in kind of all the traditional mixed martial arts. So when you look at martial arts, you're looking at, you know, competitively boxing, kickboxing, wrestling, jujitsu, and then MMA being where you compete like in the cage and what you traditionally see on TV. MMA is what I've done. And I did six MMA fights and I haven't fought, you know, MMA since 2014, but I do plan on probably doing a few more. I don't really have any, you know, goal at this point to like be in the UFC or anything like that, but I'd like to still round out my career with a few more fights. 
jujitsu has been like the primary focus for the last, you know, four or five years since I've opened my academy. And jujitsu is like just the grappling, no striking. Um, what that used to look like was just tournaments. Like you would almost think of it like competing in any kind of tournament. You would show up, you would, uh, you know, enter, a, you know, do a registration and, you know, have so many guys in your division compete against multiple guys. You win, you get a medal, you get some, you know, pristine from that. And, um, you know, that, that was about it. No financial reward. You know, maybe you get a sponsor. Um, maybe you get some notoriety internationally or something, and people just recognize you as the best, which means maybe you get seminars. That's where you'd make your money traveling. Um, and now recently, they're really taking it to the next level because they see how much we invest our you know lives into this. So there's also an entertainment value, right? There has to be with any professional league for people to want to get behind it. And uh, a company, which you guys are probably familiar with, called Flow. Flow is pretty big. They do, like, everything. Flow took a, a chapter in their um, online streaming called Flow Grappling. And so that's where they've been streaming it. They have a good deal. And I guess that's how they're making it lucrative. And they're trying to make professional grappling exciting. And maybe one day I'll be in the Olympics. But um, So now, instead of doing a tournament, again, you're doing these single match uh, formats on this big stage on a with a huge crowd, you know, a thousand plus people, and they're paying you to do it. You're really getting the respect and notoriety you deserve, and people are like, "Wow, you know, this guy is equally working as hard as any other professional athlete." You know, dedicating his time to the craft, and uh, and it's neat. It's neat to see because you know when I first started, that didn't exist. You would sign up, you pay for a tournament, you win a medal, you still feel good, you're still excited, you still get recognition. But people always ask, like, so like besides the medal, like what else did you get? And you're like. I just got the medal. You know? <laughs> so. Medal and pride, right? Right. Yeah. Wow. And, and congratulations once again on a career that's been great so far. Obviously, I think there's a lot ahead of you. So um, let's take it back, though. Let's let's go back because obviously the underdog here today is uh, what we want to show is which I I, I can't wait to, for the for you to tell the the audience and the platform of the adversity you've overcome. Sure. And um, you know, let's go back to that point. So I know Calvin, you wanted to hit. You know, you, you he was in our, in our pre conversation about all the things you faced to get to where you are today. So you just gave a steady state. So let's go back, let's go back and, and, and start how we built to this point. How does someone become, I guess, what, at what point did you decide that you wanted to become a fighter? And can you take us back to that moment that day? Or was it something that's kind of built up? And, and then when you first set, you know, when you first had that opportunity to, to go, you know, sign up or take lessons or, you know, walk us through that process. Yeah. So I think it was a slow buildup. Uh, it really, you know, it started when I was like 14 ish. Yeah. Just so much energy as a kid, you know, like a lot of kids, I think I had like an exceptional amount of energy, very hyper, even more so than like an average kid, you know, maybe I'm trying to make myself sound special, whatever. At this point, it doesn't matter. Were you a bully? No, okay. no, I okay. was, but I will say this. I was very hyper and I did like, if someone messed with me, I was quick to like mess with them back. You know, <laughs> I was a class clown really. Okay. Um, and anyway, I was looking for some sort of outlet and I, I, at the time watched like a UFC with my sister's boyfriend and uh, I remember being like, that looks so cool. And I kind of looked up to him. I didn't really have like a strong father figure and not that he was, but it was just another like older male role model. And he was talking about, man, you should wrestle, you should do something. And so I was like, yeah, just that looks cool. I want to be a part of something cool. So it was really, I, I tell people, it's funny. It was the cool factor that got me into it. I was like, I just want to be cool. So I, uh, I did a year of wrestling to terrible and then realized that, Hey, like what's the next step. So I like start researching on Google or whatever at the time. And, uh, 
and and found a gym like relatively close and begged and pleaded for my mom to take me there. Um, I did a few lessons of boxing at another gym in Cincinnati. And then after that, um, I did one class and I remember just being like, this is awesome. And, and it just kind of like grew from there. You know, it just was like momentum built. So I remember when I first started, when I originally wanted to play football, having that conversation with my mom, she was terrified. She's like, go play soccer or something. And I was like, no, I want to play football. And I had to talk her into it. And you just mentioned that, um, you know, being raised by your mom, you kind of, you, you had mentioned uh, in your pre-notes that, you know, she, she sacrificed a lot and you probably weren't like, you were like most kids, you were mischievous and probably, you know, gave her a hard time. Um, you know, what was that conversation like with your mom? Yeah, it, it was pretty much the same deal. Even though my dad wasn't super involved, he was more on board with it. But it was just the biggest thing. It's funny. I like I laugh about it. Like there's always the worry. But I think when you're like a kid and you're just going to take classes, like you don't expect it to turn into this, right? You want to think like, holy shit, like you were going to do this? Like how could you look into the crystal ball, right? There's no way. It was probably more of just a thought like he's a teenage boy. He wants to like go train with other people and have fun and learn something and there's discipline. So that was it. And to be honest, I don't think she really knew what it all entailed. Um, so I think the biggest concern, to be honest, was finances and the drive because it was like 30 minutes away in Westchester. I honestly, I think that's what it was. Now, as it grew, it turned into like concerns of health and like you're going to be getting hit. I don't want you to do this. But initially it was just like, how can we physically get you there being like one person um, and how can we afford it? No, absolutely. Now, speaking of your father, um, you lost him at a relatively early age, correct? 2000. Yeah, I was 21. Mm -hmm. Okay. So walk us through. I know that was, you talk about some of the, you know, adverse points. Once again, how you, you know, you're going through your career. Um, you mentioned obviously a few opportunities for adversity, obviously losing your father, college girlfriend, and then um, kind of going through your first gym and the experiences you had there. So like that seemed like a really trying time in your life. So as you progressed out of high school and into those, you know, adolescent years, um, you know, what talk us through through that kind of I guess maybe is that rock bottom for you or, you know, what what was kind of that low point that you kind of mentioned and how mm -hmm. did you overcome those things? Yeah, it, the last stuff you mentioned, I mean, it's kind of hard to where to start. I, I think always as a always as a kid, I always struggled with some sort of like form of anxiety. I always I remember even going back as like young as maybe ten, and uh, maybe even younger, eight or nine. I remember going to a movie uh, with my with my uh, mom and stepdad at the time. And I remember being in that movie, or it was actually the Omnimax over at the the Cincinnati Museum or whatever. I remember just being so overwhelmed and just not knowing why. And I think that goes back to kind of like we like talked before we got on. There's, uh, you know, sometimes sometimes like a biological thing. It's just like ingrained in you. And I just think I was born with like maybe more anxiety in a gene or something. So I always kind of was anxious as a kid. And so I would get triggered by things a lot easier, very sensitive. Um, and then just in general, growing up with my dad, he uh, he was addicted to prescription painkillers. So he had an opioid addiction. And I always had a really weird experience with my dad. I never truly understood when I had visitation with him. Like, why was he sleeping all the time? Why was he not involved? You know, why couldn't we do the typical things that like uh, a boy and his dad would do, like play sports or go places? It was always like, I'm too tired. I'm sleeping. And I just didn't understand that. So that always as like a kid affected me. And I think it was kind of like they talk about as you get older, if you like ever learn anything about psychology, like the the child inside of you sometimes kind of gets trapped and gets lost. And as you become an adult, you know, it can spill over into your adulthood. And I think that was like prime thing. So um, as I got older, my dad progressively got sicker and got less active, less active, less active. And 
the last like year or two of his life, it got to the point where, you know, I wasn't seeing him too much because I had to create a wall because it was too hard for me to see him. And he was a really loving, caring man. He meant well, but he just, he couldn't get out of his addiction and he let his health totally go to shit. He was living at my grandmother's and uh, he was like laying on the couch all day. Like he literally, he didn't work for pretty much the whole time I knew him. He was on social security. He always had creative ideas, but just couldn't get him to take off. Um, and by the last year, I remember what really kind of hit me was I knew my dad was sick. And I knew he had issues. And I knew no one could help him. But I remember coming over one time for like a family dinner. This probably was like 2012 or 2011. And he was super slim. He was like really proud. He went from weighing like, you know, maybe 210, 511 to like 167, 70 pounds. I was like, what the fuck? Like my dad looked like he had cancer. And he was really kind of out of it, kind of high. And we were all eating. It was like my mom even came over. Like at that point, my family kind of like, you know, just kind of made amends. And and I remember just feeling so uncomfortable. Like I wanted to cry. I was just like so unsure of like what was going on. And everyone was kind of just like, yeah, things are fine. And I remember like thinking, no, my there's something like seriously wrong here. And fast forward like a couple of weeks, my aunt came in town to visit and she was like, we need to get your dad like looked at. There's something like seriously wrong. And he's like in denial. So they told me I had cancer, which he didn't. And he was like in tears. We were all like there when he was on the phone with the doctor. They immediately took him to the hospital. And then pretty much from that point, he never came back home. He spent about a year in and out of rehabilitation um, in a hospital going back to rehabilitation. And they ultimately said he had like a rare blood disorder called HLH, which is like an infection of your blood um, caused by some sort of autoimmune disease. Um, he also had like a diabetic uh, ulcer on his leg that like a wound that turned into a huge gaping hole that they think could have caused him the infection. And he lost all this weight. He just became very ill. And he ultimately spent, you know, the last year of his life in a hospital and had all these procedures that didn't work out. They couldn't figure out. They Still to this day, I think the doctors just put a title on it because they had to on his death certificate. But I don't think they really know like what was the cause of everything. Wow. Wow, that's tough, man. <clears throat> so, and, I, and, and I'm sure we'll probably lead back up to that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a long, yeah, it's all right. Yeah. It's very no, dense it's good. and long. So. That's it's good. It's a great backdrop. And, and how would you say to go off of that? And obviously that's, uh, fortunately, I didn't have to go through that. But how have you, obviously you've, leverage that situation and that adversity into, you know, having success, like how hard was that? And then what were the things where you just like, Hey, I, I can't really, you know, I don't have a father figure. I know that I'm not like majority of the kids out there and I'm just going to make shit happen. <laughs> like, sure. I mean, what was the, I mean, do you think that made you tougher in your, you know, of, of starting a business and having a successful business that you have, having a successful career mm -hmm. in your industry. Um, do you attribute some of that adversity to how mentally and physically strong you are? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you guys hit the nail on the head. The biggest thing as just a kid, like I said, I had all this energy. And I think because I was always craving my father's like uh, attention in a certain way. Again, he was a good, he was a good loving man. He was just consumed by his addiction is that I think I just carried a chip on my shoulder and anywhere I could get some sort of attention, whether it was like said, being a class clown or just being outspoken, I, I just, I, that was me. Um, so yeah, so it 100% made me hungry to be successful. So at a certain point, it was like, I want to prove people wrong that I won't end up like my dad. Not that anybody was telling me that, but in my mind, I convinced myself like I'll end up like my dad. 
So I told myself, like, I'm going to be successful. I remember talking to myself, like looking in the mirror as a teenager, like nothing's going to stop me. And sometimes I would cry because I would think about my dad in the situation. And every time I would get emotionally broken down, I would build myself back up like I'm going to be a success. I'm going to make it. I'm going to be different. I'm going to I'm going to, you know, crush all my goals. I'll be a fighter. I'll be this. I'll be that. Um, And it was just a driving force. And I remember the day my dad passed, he said a couple things to me that kind of stuck with me and also lit a fire in my ass. He, uh, he told me when he like called us in, he wanted to see us before he got off like dialysis and everything. He was, he told me and my sister, he loved us and stuff. And he pulled me aside and he said, you know, son, um, I want, you to know, a few things that were very random. He's like, love is forever. He just kind of said that out of the blue. And he told me to, he's like, just never give up, never give in. And it was very out of order and it didn't like necessarily make sense at that time. But those are like two pivotal things that he said to me. And I remember thinking like, that was all I needed. That was like all I needed at that exact moment to to power through and, and have a different look on my life. And so I kind of looked at it from that point on that anytime it hit hard time, that was like the message just like to never give up, just keep fighting, keep pushing, you know? Um, And that following year, I had this crazy success. You know, I opened my gym, I competed, I traveled, I did a bunch of things I thought I would never do. So now let's rewind too, because um, you you faced adversity before this as Mm -hmm. well. So you uh, you graduated high school two thousand ten. Guess we're giving your age away. Um, You're single. Might get you something off of here. Hey, Um, a lot younger than us, right? (laughs) But then you uh, you went to UC Uh and against probably your mother's word. I would think you dropped out of high or dropped out of college. Not high school. Yeah, not high school. <laughs> out of college. I barely got through high school. No. Um, yeah, I first of all, academia was never my thing. So to kind of like backpedal on that, school was never number one. I was always, I always thought in my mind like I will find a way to make. Once I found martial arts, that will somehow be my my path. And I was like, I don't know how it will happen, but I will buy enough time through academia to then find my way out. And so I got into college by the skin of my teeth. I, I don't even know how it's still to this day. And I, um, as I was going to school, I was like doing okay. I flunked some classes, took some time off to this, that, or the other. But I was networking. I was meeting people. I was figuring out like how can I make this thing work? And I was competing and having success. And finally, yeah, I, I told my mom in 2014, I was like, I was really scared. I told her, I'm going to take a break. And she's like, oh, another break? You already took like two. <laughs> and I was like, well, before I want to make money and save up money, and I did, but now I want to open a gym. And it was kind of like, okay, Rob, like she believed in me because every other goal I had, I crushed, but she was also concerned. And so my grandma was concerned. My mom was concerned. I think the rest of my family was concerned. And I don't think they ever thought like he's not going to be able to make it work, but they were like, how is he going to make it work? You know? Um, what, I mean, what a story. So you drop out of college, start a gym, or you were at your old gym, or how, how did No, that- no, no, I, st- I started the gym. So I actually, I rented space from, uh, which was great. I met a guy at UC who was one of my buddies at the time, and he had space above Snap Fitness downtown, and he had like extra space that I rented from him. It was a really small little like studio space. Can you name drop? Uh, I prefer not to. Okay. Yeah, we can, I can tell you later. Okay. Yeah, you probably know who it is. I, I probably do. He was a cheerleader. I don't know him then. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he was a male cheerleader, but... We, Wrong yeah. person. Okay. <laughs> Unless he's not revealed that information. Probably hasn't revealed it. Okay. Yeah. See, I'm out of the loop. You guys are downtown guys. I'm, I'm, I'm not, so... Big downtown guys. But then you keep going. So you take at an early age, you, you're an entrepreneur, right? I mean, you're... you're so not only you uh, are a professional, now you're an entrepreneur and you're learning the business and uh, 
I think that's fantastic. By the way, not that this means anything, but some of the stuff I've I've read and seen personally over the last ten years, folks that do drop out of college that have the heart and the hustle, like the man to our left here, or your right, um, have tremendous success. So I love that you're just falling down uh, on the, that path of of you know it doesn't matter if you have a degree or not, you're making things happen. So um, anyway. I would love to keep, so keep going from, from snap fitness. So take us to that moment. So you're at snap fitness. And then how do we, how did you get to this place? This place is unbelievable by the way. Yeah. So. Uh, man, I was in snap fitness and I built out a nice little space. And again, I had truthfully, I was totally clueless. The biggest thing that got me, I think from that, that point to this point is something in, in, uh, in Yiddish we call as chutzpah. So it's like just having like a fire in you. Right. Um, just being resilient. I think my one of my best traits is that I'm just a resilient motherfucker. Like you cannot knock me down. And even if you do, I always find a way to get back up. Like I've no doesn't mean shit to me. Like I'll find a way. Like if you're like, no, it can't help you or no, it's not gonna work. I'm like, nah, I'll find a way. And that was kind of what it was. Everyone was telling me, no, 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 like not a good idea, not a good idea, don't do it. I actually even hired a consultant to help me write up like a contract formally so everything was in writing between the guy and I. And he was like, man, what the guy wants from you, don't do it. It's just not worth it. You're young. Wait a couple more years, get more established. And I was like, okay, I'll take, you know, take it for a grain of salt. And I just ripped it up and said, do my own thing. And I went into the the business kind of blindly, not knowing how much it would take, not knowing uh, even legalities, like uh, building permits for building stuff. Oh my God, that was a mess. So anyway, I went along, I built the gym out with some friends and had help and um, I put everything into it. And about what, 10 months in, we're like, we need to expand it. So we started knocking down walls and that's where we ran into issues. Uh, the guy I was doing business with at the time, uh, kind of renting the space from, he was like, oh yeah, you can knock down whatever you want. And being a 22, 23 year old guy, I just believed him. I took his word for it. Little did I know that the city, that he didn't have permits, the city came in, shut us down, red tape everywhere. They're like, you cannot occupy the space. So I immediately like saw my dream just going down and I start thinking of what can I do? What's plan B? So Fortunately enough, the owner of the whole building, I emailed him, told him the situation. He allowed me to utilize some space on a higher floor. And so I was working out of like an office space, almost like a big open office space with pillars with just my mats laid down on this floor for about three months prior to me just saying like, fuck this, I'm moving. I'm going to like a new location, which brought me here. And uh, that was a trying time because when we got all this red tape put up, I thought I was going to lose my students. I thought that was going to be it. I thought my students were going to be like, like, what am I, like, I'm rolling around on like a carpet office space with some mats. <laughs> like, you know, I just thought that they were going to look at this and be like, we can't do this. And my, my student base at the time, maybe it was like 25, 30 people. They stood by me and I was like, I was amazed. They didn't buy in the facility. They bought in the person, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was I mean, really, I was really fortunate. So yeah, I mean, obviously as like being in business too, you see it, people, if they believe in your idea and you and the leadership, they'll, they'll stand by you. So what advice would you give to that 20? 20 something year old, probably fresh out of college, in college, or a couple years removed from college, in a career where they feel like they're not gaining any traction and they're trying to figure out, you know, what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Because coming from someone like yourself, you kind of took the, I guess, the, the non traditional route. And not everyone has that inside of them. I think everyone probably has that inside of them, but I think trying to find that is, what, what, is what's key. Sure. What advice would you give to someone uh, who would be in that, you know, that, that category, I guess? Yeah, I I think the biggest thing is, I think I was fortunate from the sense, like from the idea that 
I just found that one thing and just became like obsessed with it. But not everybody does. I think the easiest thing that you can do is one, be patient. You know, obviously patience doesn't create laziness. Being patient does not mean being lazy. And I think people mix those two things up. Well, I don't have to do it now. So I'll just do it whenever, you know, I'm being patient. No, that's not what it means. It just means maybe pick three things you really enjoy and give each of those three things maybe like a certain amount of time, like three to six months and really invest in it. You know, if you're in school, if you're a college kid, high school kid, whatever, and you like one thing, you know, give that thing three to six months of all your time and attention and focus when you have it and be all in. Even if in the first month doesn't work, like you just, you commit to it and you say, no matter what, I won't back out. If that doesn't work, boom, go to the next one. Then you go to the next one. And if those three things don't work out, you start fresh again. But I think three is the magic number. I think three to six months is fair because you will have ups and downs regardless. And you have to prove to yourself that you can be consistent. So I think that's a good way of, that, that might be like an okay path. Unless you're lucky like me and you're just obsessed with one one thing and you don't care what anybody says and you're just like, I'll find a way. Right. That that was kind of my thing. Um, but yeah. As far as, and, and I love it, and this is fantastic. This is right up my alley. I love the entrepreneurship. I thought there was going to be more talking about fighting and I'm, we're talking about <laughs> being a business. And this is great because yeah. you do have, like I said, you're multi-talented, multi-facet. Um, staying on to the building the business aspect. Um, what else? Because we, we, we roll through this a lot in our organization of when we start a center, which would be for us, or you start a gym, like what are the top, I guess, in that growth phase of scaling? Because now I can see your business scaling, Mm -hmm. meaning like your memberships went, I don't know, from X to X, Mm -hmm. your marketing I've seen obviously go X to X, your Mm -hmm. following. So what are, I know you gave us some marketing advice, which I thought was fantastic, but what are some, I guess, maybe three business practices to scale or grow your business? Because obviously you've done that here. So sure. I'm to be honest, I'm still figuring it out as I go. I'd be totally lying to both of you if I was like, I know the golden rule book of like marketing because it's ever evolving, as you know. What I've learned in the martial art business, which is super niche, is one, it's super niche. So there's not a ton of competition, which makes it nice. Um, so I'm not fighting for like, you know, a ton of space on the, the web or the market. Um, I think the number one thing besides anything else, when it comes down to it, you'll get people in the door no matter what. If you just have a gym, people will walk into it. But what keeps in there? is the quality. It's not the quantity. It's it's having, you know, reputable instructor uh, instructors, people that work there that teach there and I think that I've done a really good job at like the self-promotion aspect and just my credentials speak for themselves. You know, we put together a nice website too that showed kind of like every sort of credential. And we also looked at our competitors, like the local gyms that, you know, were relatively good. But when you looked at their bios of their athletes, they didn't take any time to invest in that. We really took time in wanting to show you who are you working with? You know, like you might go to Joe Schmo's gym and it might cost this much, but you're going to pay more for a real premium here. Like you're working with world-class athletes. So, you know, along with myself, one of the big things I did this year to really take us to the next level and to the average Joe wouldn't matter, but to our student base, it mattered. And they talked more to their people was I brought a guy over from Brazil to teach here. I hired him, brought him over here um, on a visa and he's teaching at my academy and he brought his fiance. They're both Brazilian uh, jiu-jitsu world champions, very high level. Uh, like actually his fiance just came back from Abu Dhabi, just competed in the world pro, which is like the most prestigious competition and took second place. So we have an athlete who's literally ranked second in the world for her weight category in Brazilian jiu-jitsu training at my academy. I mean, that's in the entire world. So I looked at it like I want the best of the best in here. Um, that's one thing. And then, you know, on the other stuff, it's just having good quality, uh, good quality content. That's important. You know, um, 
kind of knowing how to strike and when to strike. I think in business is important, like knowing when to reach your certain market and then building good relationships with your clients because they're going to talk. That's the big thing, like our student-based talks. So we learned pretty quickly that if we take care of Joe, he's going to talk to Sarah and Sarah's going to talk to so on and so forth. And quickly you become the hot thing in town. And it's just building that that brand recognition. Slowly but surely, people are like, oh, that that flag brazil oh that's that jujitsu gym you know that's what you want and so i think our branding is becoming more uh noticeable people know what it means um and and we have a a kick-ass facility i think i think the aesthetics too pop you know when people come in here there's always a wow factor even if you don't sign up here people come in here and they're just like dude this place is sick yeah and we have people i've had people visit from all over the u.s i've had people from germany come through asia all over the world and people are like this is one of the coolest places i've ever been yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. And you know what? I think I need to recruit him somehow. I don't know what the price tag is. a big <laughs> price tag to take your I don't, job. I don't at least take out. my job. He's not walking out of this place. Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. This is his well, not, I won't fight him, so I won't push him that, that <laughs> direction. But what is Robbie, uh, what does Robbie struggle with on a day to day? Oh man, probably just my own personal demons. Honestly, I think a lot of people have them, but, uh, you know, just, uh, I'm I'm a very hard-headed person and I believe in myself a lot but just like anybody else I have my own you know doubts my own anxieties my own my own questions like why do I feel this way or why why do why do I let that bother me so much I think part of being successful also comes with you know a lot of your own uh personal conflict right you're willing to sacrifice everything for what you love, but sometimes you're not willing to work on, you know, yourself and things that you need to work on because you're kind of like covering it up. You know, you're covering up your personal flaws with your uh, professional success or athletic success. And I think my thing is I just I always think I'm always thinking I'm a hyperactive thinker. I'm always questioning, you know, am I doing the right thing? And even on the outside, I'll show that I'm very put together. But on the inside, I could be like, oh, shit. Like, I'm just I'm just taking a chance. I hope this works. I mean, you being open, I just want to touch upon that. Open up a little bit about myself because just so you know, you're not alone. I mean, I had I went through when I was in my early 20s, especially I still face it today. I had a lot of anxiety growing my business. So don't worry, man. You're not alone, first of all. Uh, Second of all, like your openness to those struggles. I mean, you know, gratitude to you for being open. And hopefully anyone that's listening to this, and like I said, a lot of people don't know that about me, select few people do. Um, but obviously, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm glad to throw it out there. You know, I've been a little bit more private about it, but you know, I think it does, you know, I think people need to know that whether if like you said, Hey, I have success, you know, we all have our personal things. I do too. You know, you're open about it. Um, it, it, it's very, um, you know, I think it's good that to be open about some of those struggles. And I just want to jump in and say, Hey, I I'm, I'm right there with you, brother. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough, you know, it's the world is, you know, there's a lot of pressures and like I said, you're going through a lot and, and I'm sure just being here and seeing it. And so, um, you know, I threw something out actually on LinkedIn and it was the most, not that it matters, but it had almost 20,000 hits and, oh, wow. um, like three days. It was about a struggle. Like last week was a terrible week for me. I had to terminate two people, um, which is more of a business decision mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, good people. <laughs> Um, and just all the things that you face, you know, make, I make mistakes. I make bad decisions. Uh, you stay up at night. You don't sleep, you know, I, you know, made a mistake in a conversation and all those things, you know, you're human. And so you're, you're making me feel better by you know, hearing your struggles. Cause now I, you know, I don't feel as alone in my struggles. And I think that's what I mentioned in the post. And I got a lot of support over it. And, and I'm just like, wow, it's, there's a lot more people out there. 
as we talk to people, and I think this is why it's really good, is to share these stories of adversity because there's a lot more people going through stuff than what we think. So not to go off on a, on a side tangent, but I just thought it was important for me to jump in and say, hey, I'm, I'm right there with this guy. So I'm perfect. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Nah, <laughs> um, so what do you do as far as, you know, because uh, I think this is good and, and we can kind of move on from this. One, but what do you do as far as like personal development or? Yeah, anything? absolutely. Well, I mean, the gym is obviously great. And the big thing I've done is a lot of self-reflection. I do meditate. The big hot thing now is like everyone's meditating, but it, it's good. And um, it's uh, I use an app called uh, Headspace. I love that app. I, like, I think a lot of you guys might use it, but it's it's cool. It's good. It like calms you down. Um, I use that a lot. And uh, in the past, I've no shame. I've talked to like therapists and I've talked to counselors before. And, you know, I'll say this. I've been really fortunate. And, you know, mental health is a huge thing right now. It's a really hot topic. And it's almost I, I have two ways of looking at mental health. I look at mental health as one. It's becoming too trendy. It's another one of these millennial things, which I'm a millennial, but it's where people are like, I'm depressed, you know, but like, Who's to say, are you really depressed? I almost think people are blowing it out of proportion. Like some people really have serious issues beyond what I've ever experienced that really need help. I think sometimes it waters down other people's problem. And it's not a competition, but I also just, as we all know, when we grow up, everybody, when you're young, you want the attention, you want the alert, you want to be cool, you want to be trendy. So I think part of it is like people just say, I'm so depressed, but they don't really know what that word means. Or I'm so anxious, but you don't really know what anxiety is. You don't know what it's like to really be rock bottom. Um, and so that's kind of something where I'm bothered by that. But at the same time, the people that really do struggle, I think it's, I think it's nice. You know, I'm very private about that stuff. There's some things I keep very close and dear to my heart. Um, and I've had my own struggles with that, those things, depression, anxiety, but I've worked through them and, you know, I've talked to people before and it's helped me. It's helped me. And just looking at myself in a different light. I think another big component besides just my childhood and how I was raised and like seeing my father and, you know, some biological things, I think just never taking time to sit back and reflect. I'm always just go, go, go. And uh, running at such a fast speed, you'll, you're going to eventually crash. Anybody will. So I think my big personal development now is just finding balance, finding time to just like put down the phone, um, kind of cut back from doing any sort of work activities and just decompress. And, and it's hard. It's very hard for me to do. It's a struggle. It's a, it's a daily struggle. And as you know, running a business and you guys working in that field, you know, dealing with people is not easy and it does keep you up at night. And I've had to have these tough calls where, you know, even though it's a professional relationship, you're friendly, like you guys are buddies, you know, but if one day you had to like have a serious talk, it's, it's kind of awkward. It's kind of awkward to tell your buddy like, Hey man, you know, things aren't working out or this is why you're not reaching this goal or why you're not going to get paid this much more next quarter. You know, it, it, it's it's a tough thing. And uh, I think I just carry a lot of weight for a young age and maybe I'm tooting my own horn, but I think I took on a huge responsibility really young. I think I'm just growing into that. I'm growing into the role of truly being a real leader and I'm learning through trial and error. You know, I'm, I grew up in this business like I was still a little kid at 22, you know, running around uh, doing stupid shit. You know, and, and, and running a business and almost living like a double life. Like people never knew that like Robbie goes out, Robbie parties, like Robbie like has fun. Like what? I thought he just like lived in the gym. It's like, no, like Robbie, Robbie has a good time. <laughs> he Robbie. eats late night pizza. I saw on Instagram or yeah, yeah, the trash, cheese off. That but. trash pizza. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, and I guess to follow up with this, I think this is a really good follow up. Um, look like just looking forward over the next few years, what inspires you? right now to continue doing what you're doing and what's next on the journey for Robbie? 
Yeah, I, I, I think number one, I still want to be the best in the world. Like as an athlete, I absolutely feel like I have unfinished business. You know, I've accomplished a lot. And if I had my phone or something, I would, it'd be like very egotistical, but I would literally read off all my accomplishments that are on the site. But which, you, which, which, by the way, I was trying to tell him that's like Spanish to me, all those words. Yeah, 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 <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I, I told him, I was like, man, I, I cause in my intro, which I think I did all right. I was a little, little rough there, but I was like, yeah. all this, <laughs> fetch all, me my phone, <laughs> young man. all these, uh, all these words. And I'm like, man, I don't know. I don't know what yeah. half this stuff is. And so. honestly, it's funny. That's how I feel when I look at, uh, most sporting things. Cause I don't follow, I was gonna tell you earlier, I don't follow a ton of like sports, um, unless it's like major news. So while people would be like, he's a four time. And like, I didn't even know what NCAA truthfully meant until like a year ago. I was like, I, don't know, like, I was like, I was like, when I, I won that, good, though. when I, I won that wrestling thing, tournament, I was like, did I beat somebody good? Like NCAA all America. I mean, is that, is that good? And they're like, yeah, that's really good. Robbie. I'm like, Oh, cool. <laughs> um, wasn't cool for him. It would be like beating uh, Hulk Hogan back in the day. And oh, be God. like, Hey, who, who's that? I don't know. I don't right. <laughs> But the, the, the big thing for me is the, the icing on the cake for me will be two things. It will be, solidifying my athletic career will be becoming a world champion in jujitsu. That's like my number one goal right now. Um, I've won all like, I don't know how you would like compare it to other sports, but it'd be like, if you run like the, all the other events in your collegiate career or high school career or whatever professional career, but you never won the Super Bowl, right? That's me. Like, and I'm very honest with myself. Like when I look at levels of athletes, there's like, you know, just starting out middle tier, bottom tier, you know, you got a good guy, you know, high level elite. Okay. I would put myself right under the elite and then get to that next level. Like I'm so close and I've always been right there at the peak of the mountain. I'm not quite there. I'm getting there. And elite will bring me to that next level where, yeah, I will have like a hundred thousand followers or whatever. And, and I'll win the world championship and I'll be even doing better than I am now on a professional level. And that's what my goal is. So what, what's pushing me is I still haven't reached that. I feel like that will solidify everything. And I still want to get a couple, one, two, maybe three professional MMA fights in. Cause I kind of started initially with the goal to be a professional MMA fighter, even though my path kind of changed. So that's what motivates me. And from a business standpoint, it's really at this point, it's like, I don't know what happens next. I just want to continue to maintain, to grow, to be slow and steady. I'm in no more of a rush. I felt like I was in a rush before. Now I just want to continually grow my business. And I don't know, someday will there be another gym, I'm sure, but I don't know for certain at this point. I just want to maintain what I have. And like after this build out's done, I'm not touching shit for a while. Like <laughs> I need a vacation. Like real talk. You need, I this, you need this, to go sit on the beach for a little bit. It is, I am. I'm trying to go to Aruba this summer. I, I really yeah. do need a, just a straight vacation. I've, I work too much. So you can take uh, me, Calvin, and Patrick. We'll go along with you. A little boy's trip. Real quick, so here here's my shameless self promotion, the narcissism kicking in. So here's some of my my accolades, uh, and it will be really foreign, but I'm a 37 time IBJ Jeff medalist, which is the International Brazilian Jiu Jitsu Federation, which is the most well recognized Jiu Jitsu organization for tournaments. Um, a 19 time Naga champion, North American Grappling Association champion, not as prestigious, but they've been around for like 25 years. I've won that 19 times. Seven-time Chicago Open champion. So these are all kind of part of the IBJJF. So I've won the Chicago Open seven times. Um, a new breed champion, another kind of Naga-like tournament. Uh, Battle in the South lightweight MMA champion. That was an amateur championship. But at that point, when I was 19 in 2011, I was ranked number one in Ohio um, and in like North Carolina for MMA at lightweight. 
uh adcc israeli champion another prestigious organization i won that in israel still the first and only american to ever win that tournament in israel i won the spatola wrestling classic that's where i beat the wrestlers um the ncaa all-american cincinnati open champion washington dc open champion orlando open champion nashville open champion miami open champion boca raton dallas open san jose champion and then uh, Abu Dhabi world pro medalist. Um, I was a world nogi medalist. So world championships, I got a bronze medal. I've come close, but I like, that would be the pinnacle, like the Olympics. I got a bronze medal in 2015. So I'm trying to get that gold. Um, I am currently ranked in the top 100 pound for pound black belts in the world in gi and nogi Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And uh, 6-0 as an amateur MMA fighter, 5-0 as an amateur boxer, 3-0 as an amateur kickboxer, and the owner of this gym. So Don't mess with this dude <laughs> at all. Andy Hebrew Sh- heartthrob. The Hebrew heartthrob. That was Andy my shameless Shred. plug. Hey, that's not shameless. That's no. straight up OG style. My man is just, yeah. There's a lot of undefeated records and champions. and 13 yeah, years. Very proud, man. 13 years. What's your, fighter, what's your philosophy as a fighter? Um, That's a good question. I th- for me, it's always, it's always competition. I don't think that I don't go into things like I want to hurt you or fuck you up. Truthfully, like that doesn't get me going. I love competition. I love the challenge and it, it, it does bring a little ego out and it also challenges me mentally and physically because I get those nerves and all that. But, uh, I think the philosophy is just to, to, to challenge yourself. Like, that is it like to push yourself past your limitation to show yourself that you can do it and overcome whatever adversity you have getting uncomfortable yeah yeah i love it how can um as we conclude here how do, how can uh they, the audience follow you can you rattle off some of your ways for them to engage with robbie yeah absolutely um you can follow me on instagram at uh hebrew heartthrob that's probably where i'm the most active uh facebook just robert g mayloff or my athlete page robbie the hebrew heartthrob mayloff you can check out the gym, of course, and look that up. It's limitlessbjj.com. And you can also, um, you can we don't really do Twitter, but you can look at our YouTube channel, all that stuff. It's just everything's pretty much under my name. Um, and that is about it. Yeah. And, and, and those that are listening, got to visit, putting another plug in here for you. So the uh, BJJ, right, is uh, Robbie's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu gym. Or BJJ, I think I butchered that, but it's it's okay. Limitless Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and fitness. There yes. we go. Mm-hmm. There we go. And come visit this place. It's in Cincinnati. So those that aren't listening, if you're in town visiting, come check it out. Those that are in town definitely need to come check it out. So I can't wait uh, to beat Mr. Blackman in a in a in a cage match. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll have to get you guys back in. Maybe we'll He's be the final weight class. Maybe that that'll be. So we're talking. You know, Robbie's. we can have you guys glove up. Great business idea. So if anyone listening this thinks this is great, send us some feedback. We want to, or he wants to, I should say, uh, bring this cool ass uh, ring he has here, or I guess octagon or cage. cage there we go. Third time's the charm. <laughs> into downtown Cincinnati to Fountain Square and have a match. And maybe it'll be uh, Blackman versus Black versus Decker. Black versus Decker. Black and Decker getting after it. I like it. I like it. <laughs> well, on behalf of uh, the Underdog Podcast, Calvin, Kyle, and, and Patrick and Tiffany, we really appreciate your time and congratulations and keep going forward. Thanks guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the underdog podcast. Please subscribe and rate our podcast on the Apple and Google podcast apps and send our Twitter handle, a screenshot of your rating at underdog pod with your shirt size for a chance to win a free t-shirt. See you next week 
on the U D P.